0: Good morning. Good morning, Reach Montreal. So we're excited today to have uh, Pastor Brian with us today from Church 21 West Island. And we're going to be continuing our series. Uh, We're taking a little break from Mark, but we're going to continue what we uh, started last week about forging disciples. So I just want to uh, welcome everyone here and just to pray for the worship team. Uh, and also for Pastor Brian. So join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Uh, We pray that your word would go forth, uh, prepare the hearts and minds of of your family and the people that's here. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be present to remind us of your words uh, and that you would get all the glory today. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Uh,
1: Good morning, Reach Montreal. We ask that you would all stand and worship with us. Thank you.
0: Good morning. Morning, Reach, uh, Montreal. I actually love that I get to say good morning because I say it in the afternoon in our afternoon service at my church, and it's so awkward because I'm always wrong. And here I'm right. I'm just so used to good morning. Church is in the morning. I have to just get used to that. So welcome, uh, Reach Montreal. My name is uh, Brian. I'm a pastor with Church 21 in the West Island. Um, So it's so great to see all your faces here, and I just want to say hello to those who are watching at home. Just remember, folks, there's more seats here, so come on in and join your family. I just want to invite you to do that. I had that on my heart to to do that this morning. Um, again, so grateful to see you all here today. I um, One of the things I do, if I if I could just indulge, is I am a pastor with Church 21, but I also have a counseling practice on the, uh, as well that pays my bills. And so I just uh, wanted to mention that. And so I just wanted you to know that I am a shepherd at heart, and I care for you guys. I care for everybody that I meet, and I'm always looking to figure out how to to know people and that's my gifting and everybody else has giftings and today we're talking not about necessarily giftings but how to forge disciples and last week uh jordan and trenton in another uh, service well jordan here right uh preached on john thirteen thirty four. And he, he preached out of a new commandment, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. That was last week. Today, we're looking at the next verse, which is verse 35. By this, uh, love one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is amazing. This is exciting, and I'm excited to be able to bring this to you today. Um, It says, by this, so I said this already, but by this, love one another as I have loved you that people will know that you are my disciples. Um, What uh, Probably what Trenton talked a little about last week was um, what does it mean uh, to, to, to love one another as Jesus has loved us, right? And so we I'll probably be repeating some of those things. We need to come from a place of understanding how God loves us, right? So it cannot ever be overstated, I think. And it, we need to know that, the love of, that this love that we're called to love one another with originates from God. And it has to originate from God because it protects us in a sense. Because it means that it's free of our agenda, and our wants and desires and needs, but God's desires and needs for how to love one another. Um, 1 John uh, 4 uh, says, and I'll read verse 10 and 11, in this, is love not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, beloved? If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John, and uh, so so John is just uh, is repeating again what what he has already said in the past: love one another, um, and but that it originates from God's love. Uh, yesterday, I did a workshop uh, at another church where I was teaching the congregation, that church, how to raise their level of care for one another. Another example of how to love one another. When people have problems, when people are suffering or struggling with sin, we don't always have to like send it up to the pastor. Uh, we can incarnate Christ and be uh, Jesus to those people who come to us and say, I need help. And we we can we can do that if we have a good understanding of, of how God loves us. And so I spoke about this yesterday and I and I and I was again in 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 John uh, and when we read John, when we read first John, we see a few things and it's important for us to understand those. When we love out of God's love, we can endure. When we love out of God's love, we can, be in, we can be patient because God is patient. We can spare judgment and we can leave judgment for God. And we can see a person as they are. They are image bearers of God who need Jesus, right? And if we don't know God, conversely, then how can we truly love a person? So we must endeavor to know God. So stay rooted in the word and in his community, Finally and I talked about this incarnational thing, not finally in my preaching this morning, but finally in what I taught yesterday. sorry, it's over already yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it is this idea of being incarnational. Um, and we, we see we see this uh, in Scripture, right uh, that that Jesus came uh, and, and then he said, not, sorry excuse me, John said, no one has ever seen God, right? He, we have never seen God, right? But he says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is per- perfected in us, which means that people have the opportunity if we love out of God's love to experience God, to see Jesus, to... so this is what we mean by being incarnational. So we can love out of what Christ has given us. And this is important because we want to be able to come from uh, that, this position because, again, it saves us. We, just to remind us of some of the scripture passages that tell us that it was God who took the first steps. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. This was God's mission. And it says, but God shows his love in Romans 5 for us that while we were still sinners, we were not ready We weren't thinking about God necessarily in the moment, but God broke into our lives while we were still sinners, and Christ died for us. That was not anything in our control. We didn't say, we need this guy to do this for us. No, we didn't want that, but Christ did it for us. Christ did it for us. And so out of this love that God initiates, we must love. Paul also uh, gives us a picture of what this love can look like from a humility perspective. And we look at Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 to 11, and I'll read it. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And he continues about how we glorify Jesus. So when we love as God loves, we also strive to seek unity as Paul encourages us. This is important. This means we all need to be on the same page and on the same mission. This, And I'll talk about, about this after, uh, later as well. It's not about our preferences. It means that we have to sometimes lay aside those things and get on board together. It means we have to have a lot of grace. This is what humility is all about. I spoke about this probably the last time I was here, but James 4 reminds us that the things that we desire, if they go from being things I want to things I must have, I must have things in church to be this way, then we're not loving and we lack humility. We need to be willing to put aside our entitlements and our preferences and the ways we're doing things before. And we seek to put others before ourselves. This is what Paul is telling us in Philippians 2. We need to be willing to die to just about anything. Anything. What are we willing to die for? What are we willing to die to for the sake of others? And we must do this motivated out of the gospel, a gospel-centered love. An agape love. We might have talked about that. Agape is this word love that we get in our text today. And it's a sacrificial love. Jesus says in John uh, John 13, love one another as I have loved you. And Philippians is a great picture of how Christ has loved us. And so this is how people will know that we are his disciples if we love one another as Christ loved. So what does Jesus want? In our text, what does Jesus want? He wants all people, not just the believers, not just the body of Christ, but all people. He, didn't, he, he said all people. He didn't qualify that. He wants all people to know that we are his disciples. So this becomes a key element of the gospel. Last week, uh, we were reminded about how, what it means to be the people of God, and we were focused on the commandment to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Now, Jesus is calling us to live that out before the world, before others. This is not like, I don't know if you guys know what a diorama is. When we were kids, we had to make them. There's, you know, like put little people or animals or whatever. And it was this thing that we looked into. Or we're like, oh, this is pretty. This is beautiful. They have live dioramas now. And I mean, you know, you have zoos, right? You could go and you could see an animal behind a cage. And they're like, oh, okay, that's how they live. Not really, but that's how they live, right? And, but that's not what Jesus is calling us to do when we live before others. It isn't so that they look into the church and go, oh, what's going on over there? That's not what he's calling us to do. He's calling us into a mission and to be incarnational. Jesus left heaven, right? He left this throne to become man. He humbled himself to become one of us. And so we need to see this radical thing that Christ did, and this is his act of love to us, and we need to do the same. We need to be able to leave our comfort zones, leave the diorama. This is the diorama, folks, right? Church. We come here to worship and praise God and and thank him for everything that he's done week to week. But then we have to go out and be the church. This is a very important thing. So we have a mission. And we want to know what is that mission, right? And so one of the places that we look to scripture to understand what is the mission of the church is Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Where Jesus says, go therefore and make Disciples of all nations. There's those all people thing again, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we see two things happening here. Well, probably more things. And if, you know, maybe I was a better preacher, I'd have 15 things we could talk about. But um, there's two things I want to point out today. And one is this call to evangelize, right? To uh, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So baptizing people implies that they didn't believe before, but now they believe for some reason, though the reason is because Christ has rescued them. Uh, And then so that's couched in this phrase, go therefore and make disciples and teach them to observe all that I command, which is basically the same thing in, in some ways. Well, make disciples, but you could be a disciple of anything, but Christ is being very specific. Make them disciples of me. So we have evangelization and discipleship, right? We see these two things at work. And a lot of churches separate these things. They have good evangelization programs. We're going to get the best the people who have the evangelism gift and that's good. We can use those things and we send them out into to street corners and do all kinds of things and they, and they use their gifts. And then we have discipleship programs. We're going to have this Bible study. We're going to do this thing here and we're going to we're going to do all sorts of programs and we separate them out. Cuz we see them as two distinct things. But I would challenge us today and I think the vision of this church and our churches is that they work actually hand in hand. Why does Jesus want all people to know that we are disciples? Because in helping others know that we are his disciples, it has an evangelistic quality and it's actually a better way to disciple someone. And it's a better way to help them be more like Jesus. And it helps us uh, by finding ways to live life before them it it, it it does something for us and it does something for those who have yet to know Christ so before they yet they ha- they believe we can already be equipping people to live as jesus and this is this is something that a lot of churches don 't wrap their head around and look we don 't do it perfectly either i 'm sure right but In order to evangelize, in order to help someone know who Jesus is, it's best if we show them how we live by loving one another before them. And on the flip side, because we tend to keep this evangelism and discipleship separate, um, when someone becomes a Christian, right, after you're baptized, after you do your profession of faith, yay, I'm part of the the family of God, this is awesome, um, we still need the gospel every day i remember i was counseling someone once and i was trying to remind them of the truths of the gospel and they were getting annoyed actually and they said yeah but i i know all these things i was when i was baptized i i I was washed clean by Jesus. these are truth statements that this person is making i'm not refuting them but they said i was made new then right? But I'm speaking to this person, I'm counseling this person because they're actually cheating on their spouse, right? And so 15 years into being a believer, still there's some disconnect. Yet somehow they felt like something like magical happened then that they didn't need to know what the gospel was 15 years in. But yet they did. Because it's reminding people of what the gospel is and its implications that we are transformed day by day we need to hear the gospel over and over again why because we forget because we are still sinners there's a battle in our hearts it's a it's a present day battle it doesn't like we become christ followers and yes we are made new the old is passed and the new has come we have all of that but there's still this thing a called sin that we battle with every day yet by god's grace we have the holy spirit that comes to help us in this but we need to be reminded of the gospel and many scripture passages and that, that remind us to be, to remind one another of the gospel. Uh, I think of Galatians, we t- I talked about this yesterday, 6, 1, and 2. If any of you is caught in sin or in transgression, come alongside that person, help that person. We, we want to be able to remind them of the truths of the gospel. We need to be able to work out our sin and fear and trembling in conjunction with the the Holy Spirit. Those who have yet to believe need to be evangelized through discipleship. And those who believe need to be evangelized through discipleship. We have both the same need. And so this is why evangelization and discipleship we can't move off of them, and we shouldn't separate them, but it's better if they work hand in hand. It's more effective, and it's, and it, and it's, kind of, it's pretty much the picture of what we see Christ doing when he's actually alive, uh, you know, in the flesh uh, in, in, with his disciples. Paul never moved off the gospels in his letters to the churches. He reminded them all the time about the gospel, about their hope in Christ. Right? Anytime he speaks about the hope in Christ or our salvation, he's reminding people of the gospel. And there's a purpose to that. It's because we need to be reminded. And if Paul never moved off it, we shouldn't either. Jesus never waited. This is a controversial statement. It's maybe. Maybe not here, but maybe somebody listening. Jesus never waited for folks to believe before teaching them, teaching them how to live like him. He was literally showing them how to be like him and live like him while they were still having a crisis of faith and not trying to figure out who this Jesus is. If Jesus didn't move off it, then neither should we. So the primary way that we live this out day to day is by organizing our church around ways to be missional, ways to live our lives, ways to love one another before all people. And so we do this in a couple of ways here uh, at your church. Well, we too, we do too. We have city groups, right? And city groups have a specific mission and identity. I think yours is you guys is slightly different, but in the sense they're the same. We are families of servants on mission. That's uh, that's ours at Church 21. I think you guys have, I saw it up there. It's a little different, but basically the same, right? And why are we family? It's it's our identity, and we have to be rooted in our identity of who we are in Jesus. Because of Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection, he made us God's children. And so that's why we're family, and so we choose to live as family. You don't choose your family, right? God, in this case, chose your family, right? You didn't choose your mom and your dad and your brothers and sisters. That happened without your, you know, decision, right? You didn't say, I don't like this kid. Can we get rid of him, you know? No, he's your annoying brother and you have to live with him now, right? And that's the same thing in the family of God. You have to still live with your annoying brother. Why? Because it can re- it serves to reveal your heart for your need for Christ and your transformation. You got to do that. So that's why we're family. Family's messy. We have lots of struggles. And we get to live them out before each other, with each other, and before all people. This is... This, there's, this is it, wherein lies this forging, right, of disciples. Forging is a hard work, right? Um, I was actually thinking of this and actually almost forgetting that that was the title of what this, this series is about. Forgive me, sorry. Um, but forging, when we think about forging, it's, we, we think about things that are made of metal. Right, And, uh, well, we just talked about where it originates from. There's a creator. Somebody had to create something. Things just don't come out of nothing. So for us, it's creator God, right? And there's this desire to make something. And this is because of his love for us. We go and we want to make things because of our desire or need and, and love for those things. Oh, I want to make a really cool sword. Or, you know, when I think about forging, I think of swords. I'm a guy. This is what I where I go. Um, maybe there's other things that we forge. Uh, there's tons of things we forge but anyway I think about swords and so I think about all the videos that I've ever watched with swords we take this metal we we melt it down and then we we hammer it and we bang on it and we and it takes forever It's a hard, long piece of work. Sometimes I think, ah, it would be cool to make a sword. Then I think, okay, well, I need a kiln. I need something to make, like, things really hot. I have no idea how to do that. And then I need to have, like, an anvil and all kinds of equipment and a place to do this. And my wife probably wouldn't appreciate me doing it in the apartment. Um, And neither would my landlord, probably, either. And it would just be really hard. But that's that's being on mission with your family. It's hard. It takes work. And we need to do it. And it's messy. And as we work to invite those who have yet to know Jesus uh, to live amongst us as family, so too they can see how the gospel transforms and redeems the messiness of family. That's one of the things we're afraid of, right, is that we don't want people to know that there's problems in our life because somehow we believe that we're communicating that Jesus isn't working for us. But conversely, we actually have to invite people in to see how we struggle and how we depend wholly on Jesus for our transformation. This is so important. This is so important, and we can never move off of that So that's our identity as family. And then we're servants. Jesus said in Matthew 20, I came to serve and not be served, right? He was kind of rebuking his disciples for wanting to take positions of of importance uh, in his group. Uh, but Jesus is like, no, it's not about that. It's not about who's going to be the most important guy, but it's about serving. It's about coming alongside other people uh, and doing sacrificially. Uh, we have a culture of consumerism here. Not you guys. You guys are awesome. You're all serving your church, right? You're all doing everything that you can to make sure that this is working Perfectly, and you're serving in your community all the time. I struggle with it, though. I I have a hard time, right? But we have this culture of consumerism. We come and we like sit, and oh, I hope we hear a good message today, so that I could feel good about myself. Check off that box. I went to church, and then we go home, right? Some people are like that. Not you, and um, so we see this in the world, and we see this in the church. What do I get from this? I, you know, I remember. Oh, it's gonna sound critical, I guess, but I remember there was this video that a church that I used to belong to—that it was this really great, glitzy video that we paid a lot of money for—and I remember being so disappointed when I heard one of the people in the video saying, "Yeah, I like coming to this church because it suits my needs." I'm like, uh, oh, that sounds weird." You know, why is church suiting my needs? And Jesus says it's not about suiting your needs. It's about coming and serving. I came to serve and not be served. And we also need to come and serve. And so we ask the question, how can I serve as a family, as a church, and in our city? Right? So there's lots of examples. And so when we're trying to live, when we're trying to love one another before all people, we want them to see how we serve one another. For sure, right? So there's tons of needs in this room, right? I'm sure that everyone here has something they need, right? And how can we then come alongside our brother and sister and say, how can I help you? Right? It takes time, right? It takes maybe even resources. And we're afraid of that. We're afraid of giving stuff away, uh, including time and resources. We're afraid of what the cost is going to be. But I have to remind us of Philippians 2. It costs Jesus everything cost Jesus everything to come and serve. And so, what, what is it going to cost you to go and help that guy take down his shed or go and help uh, your neighbor get groceries because they're sick or whatever, or cook a meal or, or do whatever you can for someone. Help them move. Oh, help them move. Wow. So, I used to be that guy who'd go and help everyone move. And then even I became a little older and entitled. And I'm like, I've helped too many people move. I'm not going to do that anymore. Right, it hurts. It's hard. It can be hotter outside, or raining, or worse. Probably the one of the thing that actually turned me off helping everybody was I ended up helping somebody on January first once, and it was kind of icy on little steps in Verdun, you know, to the third floor. You know what it's like out there. Holy cow! You know, like it was hard. Right, but it cost us something, and we find that really. Hard. But we, when people, when all people see that kind of love, there's something that they say, oh, wow, okay. Because people's out, outside people's impressions of the church are so much different. They feel like we're all judgmental and that we hate everybody that doesn't believe what we believe, right? But they need to be able to see how we live before each other. They also need to see how we live before all people. So we want to be able to serve our city in different ways as well. There are many ways we do this, and this is the mission. So we are family of servants, and we're on mission. Just know this, right? Just like God loved us first, and so we love, the spirit, God's spirit, is already on mission. God's spirit is already working in the heart of your neighbor before you ever talk to them about Jesus, right? Because it's not dependent on you. God knows who he wants. God knows how to go and get him. God doesn't even need you, though he chooses you anyway, right? But we are on mission together and the spirit is at work and the spirit is probably already doing work in some of the organizations and the different people around so we need to pray and discern what is Jesus doing already what is the spirit of god already doing here in the west island in 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 dorval here in point claire i don't know if you guys are like anti point claire maybe there's a fight between you guys i don't know maybe you know i mean part of your town is on my side of the 40 I, I don't know how that happened, but it's okay. It's convenient. I go to Fabricville sometimes. Anyhow, I can admit that. Um, so really, we, we need to look outside and see what, the, what is going on. What is God already doing us, doing in, in the city? Jesus gave us a spirit, right? He didn't leave us alone when he Went up to heaven, as we, we talk about in Acts. He gave us a spirit to do many things. He gave us a spirit to love one another. He gave us a spirit to love all people, to care for people, and, 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 and work in his mission. And so we need to pray, as I said, to ask the spirit what he's already doing. So how are missional communities intended to be missional? They need to be serving each other and serving uh, serving where you're at. So you need to look out what, the, what are the neighbor's needs? What is the city's needs? Is there a cleanup somewhere that I can, that I can do, that we can organize, right? Um, sometimes we have this weird like sense. We walk by something that looks a mess and we go, how could someone leave that messy? And maybe the spirit's saying, how can you leave that messy, right? Maybe you ought to organize somebody to come and help and clean up. So there's places. So I have a list it's going to be more of a list that I know. I I've been in, So I, I've thought about this statement. I've been on the West Island for three years. And I feel like I'm still new and I know nothing about the West Island. Like there's things I still don't know. So my list is short. On Rock, uh, not On Rock. Yeah, so you have On Rock, right, which is a, uh, a food bank. And now they started a new cafe. You know, these are ways that you can go and help out and be on mission. Right, uh, there's Lacord. I think some of you have probably served at Lacord. There's West Island Citizen Advocacy. There may be others that I don't know. I'm sure there's a long list. I know that there's some people who collect donations for refugees, right? And there's a whole organization that does that because uh, when refugees come, they have nothing. Right when they first come to Canada, uh, and and they're, they're they get holed up in maybe a housing co-op like uh, like Cloverdale, for example, they have a few things there, but they basically have no bed. They have nothing. They have nothing. They need stuff. You guys probably all sit on a garage full of stuff that you don't know what to do with. Right? I'm making a lot of assumptions, but I know I have a ton of stuff, uh, and I live in an apartment, um, and I have a garage, which is sad sometimes too. But we, we have stuff and we can give that stuff out. So there's lots of different things in your community that your city group can, as a family of servants on mission, can go and get together and say, this is how I want to love and serve the community. And as you love and serve the community, it's another opportunity for people to see how you love one another, how you get along with one another, how you treat one another, and how you treat them. right? And then And it's being incarnational It's loving others to show them the love of Christ. It might mean that we do really, really life-changing things like move. I, um, there's a little bit of, there's a little, it's not a perfect buttoned up story if I'm honest. But I used to live in the South Shore of Montreal. I thought I'd die there. I I still love the South Shore. We visit it fairly regularly for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes we look for excuses. But we moved out here to the West Island to plant a church. We left that thing, that comfort, that thing that we love to go and be uncomfortable so that we could be on mission with, uh, well, you guys know Jeff. He we, We've partnered together to do that. It hasn't always been perfect. I haven't always been like fully engaged in that. Uh, but, you know, I've, God, is, God has been working with me. He's been transforming me and changing me in that, right? So sometimes we have to do things like sacri- big sacrifices. Sometimes we have to give things away. I remember, uh, this was a long time, even before I became a believer, uh, there was a guy, I, I was I was part of, I was Catholic, and I was a good Catholic, so I went to all kinds of things, and it was fun. Uh, and this guy, it was, he was actually, a, it was weird, very odd. He wasn't a priest. He was a preacher, though. He was like an evangelist or whatever. He came from Florida, from Pensacola, Florida. And the thing that he liked to talk about, well, not like to talk, this is part of his deal, was that he, he, he was convinced that God told him to open a restaurant and give everything away for free. He's like, well, how are we going to do that? And God's like, oh, I'm going to give you everything you need for that. Right? Such radical, radical things. We have businessmen and women in our communities that can have the opportunity to do such radical things. Like instead of giving 20, 10 and 20% of your, your tithe, giving 90%. Right? Because you're convicted that God wants you to do something to forward and advance the mission of the gospel in your community, in, in your church. Maybe we opened, like On Rock did recently, this cafe called uh, the Spot Cafe. Uh, I think that's what it's called. Sorry, Kim, if it's not called that. Um, and, and, it, and, it's a, and it's a place where you can come and get a coffee and some, you know, some food, and it's a pay-what-you-want situation. Right? Maybe you're being challenged to do something like that. And then there's other things. To love one another. Maybe you're going to participate in, 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 in running an Alpha Right, and then again, there's an opportunity for people to see how you love one another and love each other. There's also a mental wellness course that we've done at our church. That's something that's available to you that you can host. And you, like what we did, is uh, well. This was Dwight. He actually hosted this thing online, on Zoom, and we invited all kinds of people. I think he had so many people that were not even re- really connected to our church that were watching this. And there were videos, and then they have discussion after. So if, you're, if this is something that you feel like God is moving you towards, this is a way to reach other people. And you do it together as a family And then there's ordinary life with gospel intentionality. And this is pretty much the last thing that I'm gonna bring up for today uh, is this idea that we, again, living before others, but doing things that we already do. How many people here eat supper? Most, most everybody. Okay, good to hear. Um, So you're gonna eat supper anyway. What would it cost you to add another plate to invite, I know it's COVID, I know some people are not comfortable with that. But let's forget COVID doesn't exist for for a second. I like to do that, it's a fantasy of mine. Um, how much would it cost you to actually have another place setting at your table? Right? And I know, I've heard it, right? Oh, but if I'm gonna have somebody over, we gotta do the whole thing, it's gonna be a five course meal. No, it doesn't have to be. Do you sit and make yourself a five course meal every night? I doubt it. If you do, good on you. And give me your address, I want to come. Um, but, if, but for the most part, you just prepare ordinary meals. What would it be to inv- invite your neighbor or somebody from your work that doesn't know Jesus, just come and eat with us? Some people think it's this bait and switch thing. No, what you're doing is you're inviting them to live life with you. And Jesus will come up. Because Jesus is so important in your life. And it may not even be at the first meal. It might be at the 10th meal. It's like, why are you inviting me? Why do you care about me? Because you're not just inviting them to have a meal, right? You're going to get to know them. You want to be in their lives. You want to say, hey, I'm not, just, I'm not just having you over because I just want to hang out with you and want to laugh, though we would do that. But I want to care about you. I want to show you how Jesus loves you. I want to know um, I want to know about your, your, your 10-year-old who's struggling in math, simple things like that. I want to know uh, uh, how, how you're doing because your, your mom is in, in a convalescent home and it's stressful, right? We want to know all of those things. We want to actually enter into people's lives and care for them like Jesus has entered into ours and we care for them. And again, we do it in the context of family. Maybe you're not comfortable just you and this person. So you invite somebody else from your city group. Hey, I'm having this guy over. Can you come? And then you get an opportunity to love this other person in front of all people. And this is how we forge disciples in the everyday. We go to the same cafes and we get to know Janine, who's the one serving you. I don't know. Her name is Jenin. Maybe it is. Um, She serves you coffee every day. And you're like, okay, I just, you know, and you you, you find, you get to know this person on a first name basis. And you're like, you know, you you do things out of kindness. You tip better than everybody else, for example. Or whatever it is that you need to do to actually care for other people, and ha- open up the door for opportunity. You have meetings at that same cafe with your Christian friends where you might pray over a meal or pray for other people or whatever it is that you plan on doing. And Jeanine sees this. Pierre sees this. And they say, what, what's happening? I saw you guys open your Bible. What's that all about? I've heard story after story after story about this happening. It's not, these things don't just happen. I'm not just talking about them as if it's an idea. It's a reality. I, um, though I don't have a very neat buttoned up, he came to Jesus uh, moment uh, for years. While I lived on the South Shore, I went to the same uh, Portuguese chicken place all the time. And I got to know Jose and Miguel and I encourage them on facebook and every time i showed up at the door how is business how are things going i'm praying for you i let them know that i know jesus and that i think god can help them right this is the way we can live before others and love them love actually ends up attracting people towards community you can have block parties i've so trenton who came last week he is the king of block parties Okay, You guys missed out if he didn't actually teach you about how to do a block party. But he is like the expert. So if you need, reach out to him. He's going to teach you how to do a block party. Trenton is awesome. So he, when we were all in the same city group together, Trenton actually set up everything. He went out and sent invitations to all his neighbors within like a two-street radius or whatever it is. And people came out. And Christians were meeting and mingling with non-Christians. And there are opportunities for the gospel. When you invite people into your city groups, where hopefully you don't look at that as a sacred space. Hopefully you're not like saying, well, my city group is just for us, the fellowship of believers. But it's a place where I can invite my neighbor. Um, One of the city groups that I was part of, it's always loved telling the story. There's this, uh, there was this time we were having a party. By the way, this city group I was part of, the parties were so off the hook that the cops came once. Um, it's true. The neighbor, so love your neighbors. Um, in this case, it's hard because this neighbor didn't love our city group host very much, it seems. And they were just upset. So they, they called the cops. They came. What's going on? It wasn't like we were being super loud maybe we were a bit. It was during the day. So anyhow, But we tried to tone it down and it was kind of funny and we laugh about it all the time. But it was at the same party though, where um, the host invited their landlord over to this party. And he's not a believer, but they're obviously living Christian life, loving one another before him all the time. And I'll never forget when they're, uh, I think she was like 10 at the time or 11. She's a young adult now, um, but their, their 10-year-old daughter was sitting on the couch with Patrick, that's the name of the, the landlord, and she's got the Bible open and, telling her, tell, and explaining what the gospel is to him. 11-year-old kid doing the work of mission, bringing the gospel to bear on somebody who's asking, like, what is this all about, this whole Jesus thing? Well, let me tell you right? You can't orchestrate that. You can't plan that, right? That's just what happens when you live life with gospel intentionality. Love is what attracts people towards community. Love is attractional. Not this Sunday service stuff. Being out there, the church, forging disciples, loving one another, and being on mission together is what attracts people to what Jesus is all about. It opens the door to opportunity, to bring the gospel to bear on people's lives. People start then to experience the love of Jesus, and then we can look at uh, where, but Peter also what Peter says in 3:15, that we always need to be prepared to give a reason for our hope. And what a great opportunity. Why do you guys do what you do? Why is it that you're doing this? Why did you put on this this thing? How much do I pay you? How much do I give you? No, no, we, we're not asking for money. We just wanna care about you. Why? Because Jesus loves us. Because Jesus first loved us. And so we, as as For those who are forging disciples have an opportunity to go and love others without counting the cost, without considering what it's going to do, how it's going to cost us because it costs Jesus everything. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you that you are a good God and we thank you that you first loved us. This love that you've given us, Lord, is... Insurmountable. We can't even imagine the depths of what it is. And yet we somehow glean from it a way of living, a way to live on mission, a way to live as families of servants on mission for you, making much of you, showing your love, incarnating your son Jesus for all those who are around us. Father God, we need you. We cannot do this without you. Give us your spirit. Help us. Help us as we struggle and we will fail, but that you have grace for that too. Help us as we endeavor to find ways to care for others and each other. Help us to live, uh, to love one another before all people and show them how we need you to do that. Father God, we thank you that you are a great God. We need you for all things and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.